Well, good morning. Wow, I'm loud, aren't I? Well, good morning. Hello. We're all right this morning. It's just a long weekend and we're all just do it, dozing off. I love it when there's real footage that we've captured, right? And we've been able to replay it. It looks so much more, yeah? Um, I wonder if you've been shopping this week. Has anyone been shopping? Yeah, there's a few people been shopping out there. I've realized that there's a few people who have been shopping. In fact, they started to post some things uh, online about what was going on in our shops. And so as I um, sort of saw this, I realized what was happening as well. There's this been run on this commodity out there called uh, toilet paper. Have you realized that? When an epidemic strikes the country, what does everyone reach for? Toilet paper and hand sanitizer. So I'm going to auction this off in a little minute. And Or if you need some of this stuff because you are part of the panic, then um, I'm prepared to, to share some of that with you. In fact, I went into the uh, chemist this week and there was a sign up saying we are all out of hand sanitizer (laughs) so I I went up to the the front counter and I handed my prescription they said is this everything I said actually no Um, have you got like 30 bottles of hand sanitizer (laughs) you should have seen the look that the person gave me she was not happy at all all out of it so if anyone's seen some of this and you're wondering where it's all gone um, we're talking about the Jesus way it just simultaneously happens and we've been learning over the past um, number of weeks that this is most decidedly not the Jesus way. Um, in fact, this is the guy that's been taking them all. Um, he's been protecting himself and he's been stashing up on toilet paper. I think that there's other things I would reach for if there was an epidemic all across Australia rather than this, but it just so happens that some people want to reach for that. In fact, one of the things we've been learning is the mathematics of heaven. We've been talking about what is it like when Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven coming to earth, or rather the economy of God coming to earth in the hearts and minds of human beings, when that has a transformative effect in their life, what happens? How does it transition? What's the economics of God? And we discovered that if you have two of something and you see someone who has none, you keep one and you share one with someone else. So if you see this particular person walking throughout the the shopping centers, you can think to yourself, actually, that is not the mathematics of heaven. The accumulation is actually part of the kingdoms of this earth. That's the economics of the world operating right there. If you want to actually engage with the transforming work of Jesus, one of the things he came when he came bearing his kingdom or God's economics on earth is they transform us to fundamentally operate differently. So it's not about accumulation, it's about redistribution. In fact, this reminds me of some of the actions and behaviors of followers of Jesus in the first years after his resurrection and the spreading of his good news throughout the empire is that we've told stories that when the plagues descended upon Rome and everyone was leaving in panic because of the, um, the death that was surrounding that city, that it was the Jesus followers who walked into that space, caring for the poor and the infirm and those who were dying, even at the expense of their own lives. Why? Because Jesus has so filled their own lives with a love for other people. And they also carried this conviction that Jesus had defeated death. Death was dead. And so they carried this hope that when they died in this body, they would get another one. And so they went in both coupled with this love and this hope 
and they went back into the cities and they cared for people even at the expense of their own lives. So can I encourage you, if you're here this morning and you are checking out God or you are checking out Jesus, so glad you're here. But if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, you're someone who actually wants to walk the Jesus way, then I want to remind you of something that he said in the midst of the anxiety that is creeping into and building within our community. Jesus said these words, in this world, you will have trouble, but take courage for I have overcome the world. And so if you're there in the shopping center and you're not reaching for the extra bit of toilet paper, in fact, if you've got two and you're giving away one, in fact, you might give away both to, to other people who are in anxiety and they look to you and they say, why is it that you're so calm? You might be able to share with them just a simple truth. Actually, I have this confident hope that this is not the end. Death has been defeated. And so I don't get caught up in those same anxieties. I'm I'm careful about health and being responsibility, being responsible and all those things. But I actually have a living hope that's transformative and it changes my life. I want to tell you about that, okay? So over these, you got me? So when it comes, when you see it, you've got a chance. I want to operate by the kingdoms of the heaven, the economy of, of this world, or the economy of God. And uh, there'll be opportunities that you will have in the coming months and weeks ahead. Over the last number of weeks, in, in fact, if anyone, I'm just going to leave that there. Um, over the last number of weeks, we've been covering points of contact in, in the book of Luke. Luke's recording the events in the life of Jesus, and he's arranging them in a particular way. And so we are touch-basing through all the way uh, up to Easter time, looking at the good news account that Luke writes about Jesus. And we started off a number of weeks ago looking at the maths of heaven. The kingdoms of this earth, Luke's saying, when he's comparing the kingdoms of the heaven with the kingdoms of this earth, operate through power and greed, self-interest and accumulation. He says, that's not how the Jesus way looks. Then we looked at defining success and the way in which our our world, our culture defines success is that if you rule yourself, if you satisfy yourself, if you promote yourself, you are a winner in our world. Jesus comes in a profoundly different way, listening to the voice of his father and saying, actually, success in this life with God is not just about me. It's about being pleasing and following the words and the voices of my Father. If you do so, you will live and encounter a fully human life. It's not just about ruling yourself, satisfying yourself or promoting yourself. It's about entrusting yourself into a different way to a God who cares. And that was his example. And then the week after that, we looked at who's in. Who's in? Who can enter into this kingdoms of the heaven coming into the kingdoms of this world? And we discovered that God's arms in Jesus are open wide. And his profound voice to you is no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done or has been done to you, God loves you and welcomes you and will wash you clean and if you open up your arms to him, that is people running to him, his, his arms open wide. No one is excluded from that. In fact, the only one excludes you from that is yourself. His arms open and his love is great. And then last week we looked at winners and losers. Because when God's economics comes here to earth in the person of Jesus and in the lives of people who follow him, they fundamentally challenge the way in which we define who's a winner and who's a loser in this world. In fact, Jesus reversed them. He said, do you want to win in God's kingdom? Don't look for the top position. Look for the low one. Be a servant. 
It's not about accumulation. It's about redistribution. It's not about fending for yourself. It's looking outwardly to others. Why? Because there's a new power that's operating within you. In fact, by Jesus coming with his kingdoms of the heavens way upon the kingdoms of this earth, he challenged all other kingdoms. He put them on notice. And so last week when we're looking at winners and losers, he said, there's a way that seems right to people that if you are provoked and pushed, you should push back harder. But I want to tell you this, evil only perpetuates evil. If you are someone who's encountering the love of God, I want you to think about, be transformed by that such that you will be thinking about what it is to give back good, even in the face of evil. Take the higher road. Take the servant path. Because the only thing that transformed the human heart is the profound encounter of love. And that's where we've got to. And today, I want to follow it on. If you want to follow with me, if you have a phone there, or if you have a Bible you want to follow, I want to look at Luke chapter 7, 36 to 50, because today it's going to get a little bit personal. Today it's going to get a little bit intimate. Today it's going to get a little bit challenging. If you like, it's going to be taking the pure mathematics and applying them up close to real people. We're going to engage with a woman, a nameless woman, who encountered the profound love and forgiveness of God through Jesus. And just I want to pause for a moment and pray and ask that God might speak to us. Father, here we are again. And I ask that for those who might be far from you, or those who are close to you, that either way, that you would reveal your kingdom and your way to us afresh today. I ask that we might encounter your radical love and graciousness. I pray. Amen. And so in this story, we have a Pharisee. And in Luke chapter 7, 36, It begins like this. A Pharisee asked Jesus to dine with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. I like that. Reclined at table. Not at the table, but just reclined at table. So we have a dinner party that's happening. And a Pharisee who is nameless at this point, but whose name is Simon, has actually heard Jesus speaking, and he's invited him back to his own home, if you like, a dinner party. Now, the Pharisees have often been misunderstood in our Western context. The Pharisees were a group of people who were a self-appointed pressure group. And their aim and their goal in life was to liberate Israel from Roman occupation. And the way in which they did that was at some times to take up armed might. And so if you like that word, the kingdom of heavens had become a catchphrase in their day, that went something like this, there is no king but God. And if it meant violent means to achieve their ends, then they would employ them. They would often be called, probably in today's terms, a right-wing fundamental group. And they were caught up in things like hand-washing and observance of Sabbath. And we understand these things to be sort of an intensified practice that separated themselves from others. 
If you imagine an occupying force coming into our country, let's say it was Hollywood that's making its way into our country and becoming more Hollywoodized Australian. What you would do is to say, I want to remain Australian. There would be things that would be intensified about being Australian that you would actually practice. And that's what these people did. The Pharisees did. They intensified these rituals as a way of saying, we will not become like Rome. And so they pressured other people, if you like, to actually participate in their agenda, even if it was through violent means. Of course, in light of what we talked about last week, this meant at the most decisive collision course that Jesus was going to be having, a way of love versus a way of violence. And so a Pharisee by the name of Simon has invited Jesus. He's heard him and he's having a dinner party. He wants to hear more about what he's saying. And in verse 37, it goes on and says this, A woman from the town, a known bad character, discovered that he was there at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of ointment. All that we know about this nameless woman is firstly that she was known. And she was known to be a sinner or someone of a bad character. Now the context here indicates that she was a prostitute. And so this woman somehow, we don't know her backstory, but she'd fallen through the cracks of that community. And she was, if you like, giving her body in order to survive. We don't know any more about her. Apart from in this moment, she brings with her a little alabaster jar of ointment. And it would be a tiny little flask that might even hang from her neck as a necklace. And in that, she would pour her perfume, if you like, one of the tools of her trade. Because it would perfume her and make her more alluring. And what we discover here is that in these open plans of Middle Eastern culture, when you're having a dinner party, other people from the town could come and observe. Very unlike our closed doors, open door policy. And that's what happened. And so it goes on and the story goes like this. Then she stood behind Jesus' feet. Why? Because Jesus would be reclining at the table. And his feet would be extended outwards back towards the perimeter of the room. So she's arrived and she has moved to a position behind Jesus' feet. And it says there, crying, and began to wet his feet with her tears. Now this is the moment when, if you're thinking about dinner parties, it just gets a little awkward. Could you imagine? There's a woman who's just moved and positioned herself towards your feet. And we don't know why, but she just starts to bubble over with tears. And she's crying and her tears begin to drip and fall to the feet below. And you can imagine in that moment, she's kind of overcome and we don't know why, but she begins to now bend down as she's trying to catch her tears that are falling on Jesus' feet. She's bent down so far that it goes on and she says that she then reached for something to wipe them because she was kind of realizing it was an awkward moment. And she began to wipe them with her hair, which means that she actually pulled out if she was wearing something that would contain her hair. She let it out and began to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair. Now, I'm not sure if you can visualize these things too much. I don't have long hair to sort of expound this, but you can imagine someone wiping someone's feet with their hair. This has got most decidedly awkward and personal at this stage, yes? Anyone been to those Christmas parties? 
you haven't met the family or the, the extra the relatives for like 12 months and then you're sort of in the room at the one day of the year and uncle so-and-so drops something that you just you know it's really awkward yeah have you, can you picture that i can um multiply that by 10 all right or even better still, I remember when I was in year 10 or year 11, first time I went back to my mate's house, a guy's place that I knew, and we hung out at his place for a day because he had a pool. And then his folks said, why don't you stay for dinner? And uh, so I stayed for dinner. And somewhere during the middle of the sort of the dinner part, it wasn't a dinner party, it was just the dinner time, he started to have an argument with his folks. All right, And it got so heated that he got up from the table and left. That was very awkward for me as a year 10, year 11 guy, right? My mate has just gone to his room and left me with mum and dad. And then what's even worse is that they then turned to me and said, we don't know what to do with him. What should we do with him? And like, I don't know, I'm only a year 11, year 10 kid. I haven't done any of this parenting stuff. I just want to, I was eating like this <laughs> so I could hurry up and just leave. One of those awkward moments, right? Multiply that tenfold. This woman is wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. And then even worse, maybe, she starts to kiss his feet. And then finally, she begins to do what she came to do, which was anoint his feet with the ointment, her perfume that she came to bring. At what point do you think the conversation in the room stopped? And then it goes on and says this, because Jesus is now understanding what Simon the Pharisee is thinking a little portrayal into his thought patterns. And this is what Simon's thinking. If this fellow really was a prophet, that is a spokesperson from God, he said to himself, he'd know what sort of woman this is and who is touching him and that she is a sinner. The idea here is that if he really was from God, God wants nothing to do with people who are on the fringes and therefore he'd have nothing to do with her. In this moment, he would look down at her, be appalled at what's going on, and invite her to leave. But the story goes on and says this. Jesus turns to Simon, and he says to him quite abruptly, Simon, I've got something I want to say to you. In fact, it says, I've got something I want to tell you. It says, once upon a time, there was a moneylender who had two debtors. The first owed him 500 dinars. Maybe a dinar, a dinari might be a day's wages. So about 500 days wages. And the second, a tenth of that, 50. Key little phrase. Neither of them could pay him. We'll come back to that later. Neither of them could pay him and he let them both off. So thinking according to the mathematics of the earth, the kingdoms of this earth, so which of them will love him more? Now you understand this. You've been to Christmas parties before. Which are the kids that give you more hugs? All right. 
the presents have been passed and the kids that get most excited are the ones who they perceive that they got the best present. Let me reverse it. Who are the ones that receive the best hugs on Christmas Day? The ones who give the best presents, right? So if you want to be the best in the room, you give the best presents. And the response you get from the kids is the best kind of hugs. This is kind of that in reverse. It says, which one would love more? The one who's forgiven most or forgiven the least amount or the lesser amount? Well, the one, Simon replies, who was let off the more, I suppose. Quite right, said Jesus. And it goes on and says this. Then turning towards the woman... So you can imagine his eyes now gaze back to where he's been looking, to the woman now who has been positioned at his feet, crying, wiping his feet with her hair, kissing his feet and anointing them with her perfume. Now all the eyes of the room are on this woman. He says, do you see this woman, Simon? Maybe for the first time he's cast his gaze on her. When I came into your house, you didn't give me water to wash my feet. That would have just been customary. That would have been kind. That would have been part of your duty. You mightn't have washed them, but a servant probably would have. But you didn't. But she has washed my feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. Simon, you didn't give me a kiss, just a normal greeting that you would greet anyone who was a guest in your home. But she hasn't stopped kissing my feet from the moment I came in. Simon, you didn't anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with her ointment. So the conclusion I draw is this. She must have been forgiven many sins. How do I know? Her great love and gratitude proves it. But if someone has been forgiven only a little, they will love only a little. (laughs) You see, Jesus is describing a truism here. The gifts have been opened, the presents have been given, and there's some who respond with just enormous joy and those who aren't. You see, probably the backstory here is that this woman has heard Jesus talking about there's a God who loves you, and no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done or has been done to you, he loves you, and he will welcome you. He's washed you clean. He's into the forgiveness game, and you are welcome too. No matter what position you are within the status of this world, you are welcome to him, and his grace extends to you. And against all odds, this woman has actually believed it. She's actually had a metanoia, a transformation, a belief with the inner part of her soul that has said, I actually believe that what he's saying is not only true, but true for me. And so she has welcomed this with open arms and joy. And so in gratitude, what she has done is positioned herself back to the place where this man This God-man has been portraying and giving off this most profound kingdom message of good news, of liberating captives and setting people free, and of opening up and forgiving and washing all and lifting the lowly high. She's believed that as though it's true for her too. And so she has come now transformed and changed. 
and she's taken her perfume that would have been a sign of her sinfulness and now she has turned it into a symbol of loving devotion and worship because she has sidled around the man who's bringing this good news and she has in her gratitude overflowed so deeply that her tears have now fallen, her hair has been unbraided and the perfume that resonates around Simon's house is a perfume and a fragrance of her loving devotion for the love that's been extended to her. And all that Simon can smell is a stench and a pungent smell that he sees an appalling scene before him unfolding of a woman who is lesser that is now continuing on her trade right before, fragrantly in front of everyone else. I remember when I studied over in Portland, Oregon, that... The men's dormitory, ironically, was positioned on a particular street in the county where we studied, where all of the street workers used to work and walk over nighttime. I remember coming back to our house one day, and you knew that when the street workers were working, cars would be driving by and you would hear the toot of a horn. And that meant sent a signal for the street workers' attention and then to walk to the car. I remember walking back to our house one day and I heard a horn go and the car pulled in and drove up just along beside me. And as I was walking to my house, there was a young lady walking to the car. Straight back from class. This is a little awkward. And I remember looking at her and when just our gaze captured... We locked eyes for just a moment, and all I could do was just kind of let out a, a, a smile. So I smiled. And she kind of, in turn, smiled back. It's kind of this idea of, it's just what i got to do. Business is business. I thought, what on earth do I do in this situation? What am I... Some years later, I returned back to here, the first church I was working in. I was the only one in the office apart from the, the other people that were kind of navigating the office space. There's the only minister in residence there at the moment. And, and this older woman, who was also a street worker, I remember, came into the offices. And she was decked up to the nines. And so she said she wanted to speak to a pastor. And so I was the pastor on call. And so we went and sat in, sat in the office and, and she just said, look, you don't know me. I don't know you. I just need some cash. I'll be gone if you can just give me some. Very frank, very straight. And I remember talking to her at this moment, just trying to pull on every resource. How do I respond? How do I react? How do I? And I remember walking out of that space feeling like I'd done a really bad job of how do I be a Jesus person in this situation and there were other people there in that space that were kind of sniggering and kind of muttering and giggling as though this is funny and I remember feeling most decidedly uncomfortable because this narrative in my head was that Jesus loves everyone un unimaginably equally 
And yet here I was in my mind, this other narrative taking place of, it's so easy to judge according to the kingdoms of this earth. It's so easy, if you like, to be Simon. And the fragrant love of God is such that a woman so transformed by the power of that good news would come and take her symbol of sin and come and pour it out on his feet as this fragrance of devoted, passionate, loving kindness in gratitude for the message that she's heard and believed it's true for herself. You see, the truth is that neither of them could pay. So easy for us to be self-righteous. You see, Simon's problem, if you like, was probably pride. Oh, I'm not because I don't perceive the gift I was given was that great because I don't, frankly, really need it. Judgmental, but both of them. You see, one person that day walked away flooded in the kingdom of the heavens, pervading their heart and mind and body. And another person entertained the kingdom and watched it pass by. How does this speak to you today? Do you know the fragrance of love? Because the fragrance of love smells so sweet that even the most appalling, pitiful scene is seen for what it is, a profound, loving action of kindness and gratefulness and gratitude because you have encountered the fragrance of love in turn, the mighty forgiveness of a God who loves and gives, and dies, and rises for you. Man's going to come up in a moment, as in now. So this is how the story finishes. Jesus turns to the woman and says this, Your sins are forgiven. Not in that moment. She'd already been forgiven. But in the context of that scene, he wants to affirm to her, no, your sins are forgiven. You have been welcomed and you are in because you have most decidedly believed and received what's always been on offer to you, the extraordinary, unmerited grace and love of God. You see, if this woman the next day had have gone back to her trade and picked up her perfume and gone and actually continued because she probably had to? Would have God's love been any different towards her? The answer is no. She could have gone back to her ways again and again and again and again and again and his love would have pursued her again and again and again and again and again and so too with Simon. Always on offer, always welcomed, his loving kindness never ends. 
Your faith, he says, has made you well and saved you. Not your faith as though you have to accumulate this massive amount of no, no. Your simple trust in the faithfulness of a loving, kind, compassionate God who pursues you and pursues you and pursues you even when you're at the bottom of the bottom and the lowest of the low. You cannot outrun it. You cannot earn it. You only step into it with faith in the faithfulness of a God who loves Do you know the fragrance of love? Do you know the peace of God? Maybe you're here this morning and you have responded to Jesus in the past and you have started off with grace, but now it's all hard work. And this morning again, you need to hear the words of Jesus. It's his grace extended to you no matter who you are. And you need to live in that again because it's become dry. My challenge to you would be to say, why don't you pray and open up your heart today and say, God, would you remind me of who you are? Because my form of Christian faith and living for Jesus has become just hard work. wonder if you're here this morning. And you're like Simon. You hear and you feel the tug of God, but you've kind of perched yourself in a way that says, I'm okay. I don't need you. I got this. But he's inviting you to step down, to position yourself at his feet, at the feet of Jesus, and shed some tears lower yourself receive his love maybe you're here this morning for you what you would love is to know the forgiveness but the cycle in your head says this if you really knew what I was or what I'd done you wouldn't have anything to do with me and that is just a lie that needs to be broken Because his love for you outruns anything that has been done to you or that you have done to someone else. And the response, the only appropriate response then, is to walk into that and to respond in gratitude and loving kindness worship we're going to sing a song right now and I'm going to invite us to stand as Steph leads and if those things relate to you then I'm going to pray for you right now if you're here this morning and you want to capture what it is the heart of worship it's about it's positioning yourself at the feet of Jesus and in loving gratitude worship him with tears and joy from a heart that's overflowing. God, I pray in this place right now, if those here that have got this 
tune in their head, this voice, this cycle that says, if you knew, but you do, and you still sent your son, and he loves, I pray that you might break that lie and open up your kingdom truth this morning. God, I pray for those who are dry here and it's just become hard work that you might remind us of the wonderful, powerful, loving grace of your Son. And in turn, that you might show us who you are afresh. God, I pray for those of us who just need to humble ourselves. We've got on a high perch. We're more like Simon. You cause us to humble ourselves and see loving kindness passing by and welcome it with open arms. Pray in Jesus' name. Would you please stand with me?